start again. <laughs> I was telling you the story about uh, Private Thomas Hughes who um, put a note in a bottle and uh, tossed it into the English Channel and then was killed fighting in France just a couple of days later. Uh, 85 years later, in 1999, um, uh, someone dredged up the bottle in the River Thames and although uh, the intended recipient had died in 1979, uh, the message was delivered in 1999 to Private Hughes' 86-year-old daughter who was living in New Zealand. Now just imagine the, uh, I don't know what the probabilities of that are, uh, but just imagine how exciting that is to receive um, a message in a bottle from across the sea, and indeed from across time. Just imagine how exciting that is. Well, that's really what we have here uh, in this little letter of Jude, just a page long. Across the centuries, breathed out by God's Spirit, comes this little letter, just one page long, like a message in a bottle, and it's addressed. Who's it addressed to? Well, look at verse 1. We don't know precisely who his readers are. He doesn't locate them geographically, like some of the other letters in the New Testament, there, there's a precise geographic location. Jude doesn't identify his readers geographically, he locates them spiritually, doesn't he? Who are they? Who, does he, who is he writing this message in a bottle to? To those who have been called, who are loved, who are kept. Who are they? Well, they're here this afternoon, aren't they? Two thousand years down the track. This letter is being written to every Christian in the world at every time in, in history. That's why sometimes this little letter is called one of the general epistles or the Catholic epistle. A uh, Catholic epistle, it's, it's universal. It's, it's meant for every Christian in the world. And it's, it, it, in some ways it's a very frightening letter. And uh, I haven't really done my job if I haven't frightened you and frightened myself in the process. Uh, but in other ways, it's a very friendly letter. And the, you notice there in verse 20, because I want us to look at these last verses which are so encouraging. Uh, the, uh, the, the turning point is there in verse 20, isn't it? In that little word, but. I was going to say this is one of the big buts of the Bible, but that would put the wrong picture into your mind. <laughs> the word but is such an important word. It's the turning point. Remember when the writer to the Hebrews, he's warning his, his hearers or his readers about the danger of apostasy and then he says but but we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation and Jude has been warning about these these false teachers who have crept in to the church and he's given us some pictures to identify these people and to see these traits and tendencies in ourselves but then he says in verse 20 but but, but you, dear friends. Now, I want to, let's look at these last verses, and let me put it, uh, I've got an outline there, and I want to put it in terms of the final countdown, if you like, because there are four things there in these last verses that we're to do for ourselves, if we're to keep ourselves safe in, in an age of apostasy when the church is declining. Four things that we need to do, four disciplines, if you like, to keep ourselves safe, Three ways in which we're to look after one another, care for each other, 
two things that only God can do for us and there is only one God so it's 4, 3, 2, 1 ok that's the outline uh, of the talk it's the final countdown and then we go home <laughs> so first of all there are four things there are four key words there in verses 20 and 21 aren't there four things that we need to do for ourselves what are they? the four words build, pray, keep and wait do you see those words there? in verses 20 and 21 build, pray, keep and wait those are the disciplines if you like of a godly man or woman that's how we keep ourselves safe in an age of apostasy build yourselves up in your most holy faith he says there in verse 20 literally what he says is keep on building yourselves up it's a lifelong activity we're to keep on doing this and it's a corporate activity you notice the plural there Build your, keep on building yourselves up uh, there was an ad on British TV some years ago uh, for the army and the, the intention of the ad was to recruit people into the, the British armed forces and it was one of these clever ads it was filmed as if you were the soldier running through the battlefield and what you actually saw on your TV screen was if you like the soldier's eye view um, what he might see and the soundtrack is what might have come over the soldier's radio and the whole thing is filmed to make you think that you're a soldier running along through the combat, combat zone and then suddenly as you're running along and, and suddenly you come to the top of a ridge a huge trench opens up in front of you which is too deep and too steep to cross too wide to jump over and then the words flash up on the screen what are you thinking? if it's how do I get across don't bother calling if it's how do we get across the number is 0800 so and so whatever and the message you see was this we're, no, we're not looking for people who work on their own we're not even looking for people who are willing to work with others we're looking for people who will think as part of a team now that's what Jude is saying here I think in our individualistic age we need to hear what Jude is saying here he's not saying make sure you keep up your private devotions he's not saying make sure you get an app on your phone so you can read your bible when you're on the bus he's not saying that he's not saying make sure that you keep up with your private devotions important as that is he's saying no build, keep on building up yourselves together plural in your most holy faith that's where our safety lies the writer to the Hebrews tells us uh, in um, I think it's chapter 3 he talks about um, he warns about the danger of having an evil heart of unbelief that departs from the living God in Hebrews chapter 3 I think it's verses 12 and 13 he warns about that of having an evil heart of unbelief that departs from the living God and he says I'll tell you how you can avoid that I'll tell you what you need to do to safeguard yourselves from that make sure that you have someone speaking the word of God to you every day today when you hear his voice harden not your hearts 
we, in our church, we, uh, one of the things we say to our people when they, they come into membership, we don't call it membership, we call it partnership, and, and we say to them, look, if you want to have, if you really want to come in amongst us and really feel cared for and have spiritual, pastoral oversight in this congregation, you need to be here when the Word of God is preached, when, when the people of God gather and the Bible is opened, you need to be under the Word, you need to be in some small group, and you need to be in some kind of one-to-one relationship with someone speaking the word of God to one another it may be husbands and wives it may be workmates just uh, you know at lunchtime uh, over a cup of coffee uh, but we're not going to we're not going to survive unless we keep on building ourselves up together in our most holy faith unless we keep on gospeling one another build yourselves up he says and Notice what he says next, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now these are not just you know, throwaway lines. These are not just isolated pieces of advice. They actually build on each other. John Calvin in his uh, Institutes has a chapter on prayer and this is his definition of prayer. He says prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is, is it's the primary way that faith expresses itself. These are not unconnected thoughts, you see. So if your prayer life is, is, is shabby, if it's um, flooding, if your heart is cold, then you need, to, you need to build yourselves up in the faith, don't you? If prayer is the exercise of faith, then you need to go back to the faith. Faith comes by hearing. By hearing the word of God. So to build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying, and praying in the Holy Spirit, he says. Now, it's not that you can pray without the Holy Spirit. Paul isn't, uh, Jew brother, isn't advocating here some sort of two-tier Christianity, as if you could sort of pray, and then there are those who have discovered how to pray in the Holy Spirit, and they're on a different level altogether. No, that's not what he means. He just wants us to pray. And none of us can pray without the Holy Spirit. Prayer is hard work. See, the thing about these false teachers, you notice in verse 19, is that they don't have the Holy Spirit. But, he says, you do. I love the, um, I'm always, sorry if you've you've heard me before, you would have probably heard me say this before, but I I love that uh, quote of of Spurgeon. Spurgeon's one of my favourite characters and uh, he's a very quotable man and he tells the story about um, it's not a story it's a quote really he he talks about you know the the dead and the cross Uh, he said he said I looked at the cross and the dove flew into my heart the dove is the emblem of the Holy Spirit in the Bible isn't it Spurgeon says I looked at the cross and the dove flew into my heart I looked at the dove and it flew away If you're a Christian, if you have looked to the cross, if you have taken Jesus to be your saviour, your sin bearer, if you have looked to the cross, then the Holy Spirit will have come into your life. That's the only way that you can have the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit by going to a conference on the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit by someone laying hands on you. You get the Holy Spirit by looking to Jesus. It's the Spirit's job to point us to Jesus. That's what he delights in doing. And when we look to Jesus, the Spirit comes into our lives. Now Paul, uh, Jude is saying, 
Make sure that you, let the Spirit be the wind in the sails of your prayers. That's what he's saying. Probably the best commentary on this is, is Romans 8. Remember those very encouraging words of Paul there in, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, he talks about this, doesn't he? He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I don't know about you, but I, I feel really weak sometimes. One way to really you know, make people feel guilty is to talk about prayer, isn't it? <laughs> to talk about our prayer lives. Listen to what Luther, Martin Luther said, that great giant of a man, Martin Luther. He's a larger-than-life character, and some of the things that have been said or attributed to him uh, uh, make him sound like a, uh, a real giant. Um, he was supposed to have said, apparently, on one occasion, I have so much to do that if I don't spend at least three hours a day in prayer, I would never get it all done. Well, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really guilty. And I don't think Luther actually ever said that. This is what he did say, listen, in, in one of his letters. He repeatedly admitted in his letters to having struggles in prayer. In a fascinating letter to his friend Melanchthon, Philip Melanchthon, in 1521, Luther writes that he's upset because his friend has been ascribing too much piety to him. In Luther's words, his friend's estimation of his spiritual vitality shames and tortures me because it doesn't measure up. This is what he says. I sit here, this is Luther speaking, I sit here like a fool and hardened in leisure pray little. I do not sigh for the church of God, yet burn in a big fire of my untamed body. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in lust, in laziness, leisure and sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have written nothing, in which I have not prayed or studied. He recognized a profound weakness in his own prayer life. But you see what Paul is saying there in Romans 8? What is he saying? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Isn't that great? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, let me just remind you of Jesus. Something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. Listen. At that time, Luke says, Jesus, listen, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, that was your good pleasure to give them a little sort of cameo, a little insight, a little window into the praying of Jesus. But the, what, the interesting thing is this, that Jesus, what made him pray was this, it was the Spirit. Jesus, full of joy by the Holy Spirit, prayed. And that's what Jude is saying. That's what he means. Just as the Spirit stirred up Jesus to pray, let the Spirit, the same Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, stir you up to pray. Let the Spirit be the wind in the sails of your prayers. So you see how safe we are? 
We've got two great intercessors, haven't we? We have the Son of God in heaven interceding for us. Do you remember? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Even when you don't pray for yourself, there's one in heaven, there's a great high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who remembers that we are dust, because he's been here in the dust himself. There is a great high priest at God's right hand, praying for us. That's a huge encouragement, isn't it? Uh, sometimes I've, I've taken on some responsibilities right now which sometimes I feel really overwhelmed with. And, and from time to time as I go around Australia, there are people who say, I'm praying for you, people I've never met before. And that is such an encouragement to know that there are people praying for me. It makes a difference. Sometimes you, you can sense that, can't you? When you're, you're facing a particular situation and you know that your church is praying for you and you feel so buoyed up by the prayers of the saints. How much better to know that Jesus is praying for you. What situation can you get yourself into? What danger can you face when Jesus is praying for you? Satan is desired to have you, but I am praying for you, Jesus said. I'm praying for you. What a great encouragement that is. We have an intercessor in heaven. We have the Son of God praying for us. But not only that, we have the Spirit of God praying for us. We have the Spirit of Jesus inside us, interceding for us. We have an advocate with the Father at the Father's right hand, and we have an advocate with the Father in the depths of our hearts. These two persons of the Godhead, one at the throne, the other in our hearts. And he who searches our hearts, Paul says, knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. We don't know how to pray as we ought. We can't find a word sometimes. Sometimes we do just groan, don't we? we cry. Sometimes we just, we're just silent. But the Spirit knows. Again, I love what Spurgeon says. He says, I'm so thankful that my prayers go to heaven in the revised version. So build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is our defense, you see, against apostasy. Not saying prayers, but, but praying with groans and, and sighs. And you remember what the old song says? Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. The world believes in the survival of the fittest. We believe in the survival of the weakest, don't we? It must be very frustrating for the devil, you know. Uh, the more he huffs and puffs and tries to blow our house down, the stronger it becomes. And the worst that he can do is to blow us down onto our knees. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. I like what John Bunyan says. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, keep yourselves in the love of God. When I was a kid in school, I had pleurisy and pneumonia and um, had to be off school for a time. And then when, uh, when I went back to school, I remember the doctor saying to me, make sure, and you never say that here in Australia, this was in, in Wales, 
Make sure that you walk, it was a two mile walk to school. Make sure that you walk on the sunny side of the, sh- of the street. Walk in the, here we say keep out of the sun, don't we? But there, not that it happens very often, he said, make sure you, you walk in the sun. Keep yourself out of the shade. Walk in the sun. So I had to cross over. I had to cr- literally cross the road to get in, onto the sunny side of the, sh- of the street. So I, as I walked to school, I would be walking in the, in the chill. Uh, and in, in, a, in the cold air. And Jude is saying something like that here to us, you see. He, he, he doesn't mean that, you know, that God is some kind of a capricious, unpredictable God and you've got to make sure you keep on the right side of him. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean that you have to go through life sort of looking over your shoulder and saying, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. That's not what he means at all. God loves us in Christ. And that love is an unchangeable love. It is an unconditional love. It is from everlasting to everlasting. God's love is certain in Christ. God loves us not because we're lovable, but because his Son has died for us. But often what happens is that our own hearts grow cold, and a chill comes over our spirits, and we fail to appreciate just how much God has done for us in Christ. And we're not measuring the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God in Christ. And, 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 and a chill settles upon our spirits and our relationships are clouded and sin comes into our lives. And so Jude says, make sure you keep yourselves in the love of God. And, and again, it's a corporate thing. I was struck by this recently. I'm doing a series at the moment in uh, Hobart on the uh, prayers of Paul. And we were looking at that great prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 where he talks about, uh, about measuring the height and depth and length and breadth of the love of God in, in Christ. And, and he says, together with all the saints. You see, you, you, will, you and I will never be able to keep ourselves in the love of God on our own. We've got to do it together with all the saints. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, um, The Four Loves, uh, wrote something about the death of one of his friends. You know, Lewis and Tolkien and a guy called Charles Williams were, were really great friends there in, in Cambridge, or Oxford, is it? Cambridge, I think. And uh, they, they, they were known as the Inklings. They were close friends. They used to meet up regularly uh, to talk and to drink and to have fun together. And uh, one of his close friends, Charles Williams, died. And this is what Lewis writes. In, it's in that book, The Four Loves. It's in, it's in the chapter on friendship. He says, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is dead, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed which no man can number increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul Seeing him in her own way doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are always crying out to each other, Holy, holy, holy. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, 
the more we shall have. Do you see what he's saying? It, it takes a community to know an individual. That's what he's saying. And if that's true of an individual, how much more is that true of Christ? If we really want to appreciate Christ for who he is and for what he's done for us, if we want to keep ourselves in the love of God, we can only do that together with all the saints. You can't do it on your own. And, and, and together with all the saints means that we are sharing with one another what Jesus means to us, what he's doing in our lives. Each of us has got a testimony and it's a very different... There's only one way to be saved, but there are so many different stories about how we're brought to salvation. And, and, and as we put those stories together and listen to one another and hear one another talk about these things, we, we, we keep ourselves in the love of God, don't we? We've all got different life situations, different struggles, different things to, to, to cope with and, and to testify to what God means to us and how Christ has helped us. We keep ourselves in the love of God. So build yourselves up. Keep on gospeling one another. Praying always in the Holy Spirit. Not just saying your prayers. Keeping yourselves in the love of God and waiting. It's the fourth thing, isn't it? As you wait. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Thomas Hooker, one of the Puritans, um, on his deathbed, a friend tried to comfort him and said, Brother Hooker, you're going to receive your reward. <laughs> no, no, he said. No, I, I go to receive mercy. mercy. That's what we're waiting for, isn't it? I've, I've been a minister for about 40 years, 37 years, something like that. No, it is 40 years actually, almost, next year. I've taken hundreds of funerals. Uh, some of the funerals, you know, people pick their own music and, and it's amazing how often that, that piece of music comes, no, no regrets. <laughs> what a stupid piece of music to have at a funeral. No regrets? I'm full of regrets. I look at my life and I think of how I've failed with my kids, how I've failed to love my wife as I ought to, as I've been such a bad pastor to my flock. I'm full of regrets. I'm not going to receive my reward. I'm waiting for mercy. I'm expecting mercy. Not reward, mercy. And thank God there is mercy for the likes of me. And those who, who know mercy will show mercy, won't they? If you're waiting for mercy, expecting God to be merciful to you on the last day, as I hope you are, not sort of polishing up your credentials and, and uh, you know, updating your CV to impress him, but if you're, if you're going towards that great day, the last day when you will appear before God, and you're waiting for mercy then you will be merciful to others, won't you? And, and that's what we're going to next, the three ways in which we are to help one another. And I'll be very quick with this. There are three ways in which we are to show mercy to one another. Um, three attitudes, if you like. Uh, let me just put it like this in verses um, 22 and 23. The three attitudes are the three things that we need in our dealings with one another to help one another, to keep one another safe in an age of apostasy is discernment, 
urgency and caution discernment, urgency and caution let me just quickly look at those things Paul describes himself there um, look at, well, look at verse, verse, verse 22 I keep saying Paul is Jude isn't it not Paul looking at verse 22 be merciful says Jude to those who doubt he said you're waiting for mercy so now be merciful to those who doubt snatch them from the fire and save them to others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh someone has said this you need to and this is particularly true of ministers but it's true for us all we need to know how to comfort the afflicted but we also need to know how to afflict the comfortable don't we and, we need to, and in order to do that you need discernment you need to know when to be a mother a nursing mother gentle and you need to know when to be a stern father uh, directive in ministry that's true but it's true in all our dealings with one another we need discernment Thomas Brooks was a great um, Puritan pastor the Puritans were great pastors he wrote a little book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices uh, today we might call it a manual for Christian counselling or something boring like that but he calls it a pre- precious remedy against Satan's devices and in that book he distinguishes eight different kinds of spiritual depression and then he has another category of eight different kinds of discouragement four different kinds of spiritual pride twelve different kinds of of temptation see in order to to write a book like that you need discernment don't you if we're going to help one another if we're going to be our brother's keeper if we're to be past if we're to pastor one another then we need discernment and we need to know the difference between those who are doubting uh, we need to know those uh, whose, whose doubtings are, 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 are real doubts real intellectual problems stumbling blocks we need to know uh, we need to know how to deal with those different kinds of doubts that people have we need, we need discernment and we need uh, urgency uh, he says snatch them doesn't he snatch from the fire save them snatch I, I love the story about the three apprentice devils remember that uh, they, 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 they both uh, the three of them come before Satan and he he's asking them for their suggestions as to how they can defeat uh, the enemy and the first apprentice says well I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell them that there's no God and Satan says well you can try maybe a few fools will believe you but the universe shouts the existence of God there's evidence everywhere you'll not do very well the second apprentice said well I'll, I'll tell him there's no judgment that's a better idea said Satan you'll persuade more people of that especially some of the clergy but uh, human beings have a, have a gut level sense of accountability that their actions have consequences uh, they know what it is to feel guilty even when their therapists tell them that they shouldn't so that'll be an uphill struggle anyone else got any ideas and the third apprentice pipes up he said well, I'll tell you what I'm going to tell them that there's no hurry brilliant said Satan that'll get them that's just what you want to say no hurry that sense of urgency I think is is largely missing it's not a note that you hear in the preaching very much 
Now, I'm not preaching to preachers here, so I must stop myself from doing this, but, but isn't it true? You, know, you get a lot of Bible talks, which sometimes can be very entertaining and sometimes very informative, but there's no pleading, there's no real note of urgency in the preaching. Jude says, no, look, this is serious stuff. We need to be people who are discerning. We need to know what's going on. Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, we're told. And, and, and as, as his followers, we need to know. We know our own hearts, and so we need to know other people's hearts. And we need to be discerning, and we need to be urgent. We need to snatch people as brands from the burning. It's no good just saying, oh, well, you know, sooner or later they'll find out for themselves. They might get hit by a bus. Time is marching on. As you get older, you just swear of that, don't you, that life is so short. It's only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. So there's discernment and urgency here. And also caution. Because he says, as you deal with people and discern what their needs are and snatch them as bands from the burning, he says, you must do it with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh, just like Joseph in Potiphar's house. How can I do this thing and sin against God? Uh, uh, you remember the old Wesley hymn? Give me, Lord, the tender heart that trembles at the approach of sin. Do you pray like that? Is, is, is that what you want for yourself? A heart that trembles at the approach of sin. A godly fear of sin implant, impart, implant and root it deep within, says Wesley. Kent Hughes and his wife Barbara wrote a little book on um, ministry called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome and he uh, he put some questions there which apply to ministers but they apply to us all questions that we should ask ourselves periodically are we being desensitized by the present evil world do things that once shocked us now pass by with little notice have our own sexual ethics slackened where do our minds wander when we have no duties to perform what are we reading what are we renting at the local video store? What are we watching on TV? How many adulteries did we watch last week? How many murders? How many did we watch with our children? There is a cloud of sensuality that oppresses everyone. And what makes it worse is the amazing human capacity for self-delusion. The human personality has an innate capacity to rationalize and compartmentalize its morality. Kent Hughes says, I've known Christ-professing, Bible-carrying men and women who were adulterous, even incestuous, and saw no contradiction in their lives. I've known Christian workers who've, had, who've led a secret pornographic existence, fundamentalists at church, and X-rated cable voyeurs at home. Even more tragic, their delusion is so deep that they admit no inconsistency in their behavior. Four things we need to do for ourselves. Three ways in which we need to care for one another. 
two things that God promises to do for us. Uh, I'll run them together because the time is going. In verse 24. You see what he says there? He will keep you from falling and he will present you faultless. It, it's a horse riding picture, isn't it? <clears throat> I, I, I was going to quote the man from Snowy River, but I don't know, don't know it, but you do. Most of you are probably pretty, some of you could probably stand up and recite it, but you can see the man from Snowy River, can't you? Making his way down on his horse without stumbling. That's the picture here, you see. It's the horse and its rider going down a steep slope. And because of the control of the rider, instead of slipping and sliding all over the place, the horse, horse goes down calmly and carefully, feeling its way, sure-footed. That's the word. That's the picture here. That's what God promises to do for us. He will keep you from falling. He will guard your steps. He will make you sure-footed. He'll take you over some pretty tough terrain. You'll have some pretty difficult experiences if you're a Christian. But he will keep you from falling. He promises that. He will keep you sure-footed. And not only that, he will present you faultless. I don't know if you ever used to watch the uh, equestrian games. Uh, we, we used to watch that on telly in, in the UK when I was a kid. I used to be bored out of my mind with it, but uh, my parents used to like to watch it. And, uh, you know, the, uh, every fence there were, uh, it was four faults. So if they knocked a bar off a fence, it was four faults. And so the idea was to have a clear round. And, and if someone came around with a clear round, it was greeted with, with, the, with, with wild applause. And that's the picture here. Not only does God provide, uh, promise to, to keep us from falling, but to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, with, literally with uh, exultant joy, wild exultant joy. There is joy amongst the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents, we're told. Wild exultant joy. George Fox, the Quaker, when he died, his last words were these, I'm clear. I'm clear. I'm clear. How is that possible? Well, there's a picture behind these words, and it's, uh, we haven't got time to look at it in depth, but it's back in the Old Testament, it's Zechariah, chapter 3, where you've got the picture there of the... Uh, of Israel and Israel's high priest Joshua it's, it's, you're in a courtroom God is in the dock God is the, sorry, God is the judge and Satan is the prosecutor and in the dock representing the people of Israel is Joshua the high priest and, and all eyes are on him and he's described there in Zechariah chapter 3 as a burning stick snatched from the fire see this is where Jude's mind is going to and uh, he's dressed in filthy clothes. And what happens there, I'll read you from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Uh, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within. What do you do? Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. 
He's taken my filthy rags and clothed me with his robe of righteousness. God says, I will keep you from falling and I will present you faultless. So four things to do for ourselves. Three ways to care for one another. Two things that only God can do for us. Is there one? Yes, there is in verse 25. To the only God our Saviour, says Jude, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. To the only God our Saviour, be glory. J.S. Bach, you know, the, the, the composer, uh, used to, be, when he composed his music, you know the story, he used to, he, were, he'd write on the manuscript um, two, uh, two letters which meant, Jesus help me. That's how he started composing. He was a Christian man. And, and a lot of his music was for church services. And he started by, with those little words, just little letters, Jesus help me. And then at the end of the manuscript, you'd see the words, S-D-G, Sola Deo Gloria, to God be the glory. That's the way to do it, isn't it? That's the way to be a Christian. Jesus help me. That's how you start. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. Jesus help me. Isn't that what you're saying every day? Isn't that what faith does? Jesus help me. And then in the end when it's all done to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Lord we pray indeed that you'd help us to uh, help one another as we um, live in this fallen broken world as we face the tempter as we grapple with sin in our own lives as we uh, stand against the overwhelming flood of this world's propaganda help us Lord to build ourselves up in the most holy faith to keep on praying in the Holy Spirit to keep ourselves in the love of God and to wait to wait hopefully, longingly, expectantly for mercy Lord we pray this in Jesus name Amen